Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's great to see you this morning. Find Psalm number three this morning. Psalm number three. As you're finding it, remember last week I mentioned three reasons why we're studying the Psalms. The first of those was the Psalms help us know God for who he is. In the Psalms, we come face to face with the attributes, with the characteristics of God. And that'll be true this morning. We will see God's mercy and love. We'll also see God's justice and wrath in the same psalm. The second reason I said we, we go to the psalms is because it helps us value the Old Testament. It helps us see the unchanging character of God. It also helps us see events from the Old Testament, how people respond. Today is no different than that. Today will be an event in Psalm 3 from King David's life and how he responded to it. It's very historical to help us understand some things from First and Second Samuel that perhaps we haven't read in a long time. But the third reason why I mentioned that we should go to the Psalms is they help us know how to approach God. They help us know how to approach God. In the Psalms, we see not only God's words to us, but we see God's people responding to God. And we see how we approach God in worship and how we approach God in repentance. And yes, what we'll see today, how we approach God when we're suffering. The Psalms deal with all of these themes. Today's Psalm is not just historical, telling us what happened in David's life. It's what we call a Psalm of lament. Lament or sadness or sorrow. How do we respond to suffering, to brokenness, to pain in this life? In fact, this is such a real thing that one-third of all the psalms are lament psalms dealing with suffering and pain and brokenness of life. So we come to Psalm number 3 this morning. As we read it, I want you to be looking for what suffering King David is enduring. But how does he respond to that suffering? What suffering is King David enduring? And how does he respond? There's a huge lesson for us in that, friends, because many of you are at points of suffering and hardships in your life, and King David becomes a great model for us of what do we do when life is hard and when we're in the midst of that suffering. So we come to Psalm chapter 3. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Psalm chapter 3, and we're going to start before verse 1, because I want you to see the little subtitle at the top that's important for this psalm. So Psalm chapter 3, I guess you call that verse number 0 at the beginning of this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. Of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. And the beauty of the Psalms that show us how your people have responded to you in good times and in bad. In times when they're prospering and times when they're suffering. And Lord, we all know that life is hard. We all have had seasons or are in a season now or will be through a season where there's suffering and difficulties and trials. And God, I pray this morning that your word would equip us, would prepare us, would guide us, would comfort us to know how we walk with you when life doesn't go quite like we expect. So give us much grace to understand your word. Lord, I pray through your word today, God, our eyes would be open to more of your beauty, your glory, your power, your majesty. We might see you for you this day, O oh Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what do we learn about how we walk with God in suffering? But you see this one idea from Psalm chapter 3 is simply this. God never promised that life will be easy, but 
He invites us to come to him and find peace. God never promised that life would be easy. In fact, we live in tough times. In our culture today, so many are taught that God's will for you is that he wants you to prosper materially, that he'll give you anything you ask for. And God has presented some magical grandfather like Jeannie who wants to get you from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest way possible. Friends, that's not the gospel. That's the American dream. And we see in the scriptures instead that God has never promised to give us an easy life. Life is hard a lot of times for God's people. In fact, again, remember one-third of the Psalms are the psalmist dealing with sufferings and pain and hardships of life. And so how do we respond when we're dealing with hardships? How do we respond in trials and when we're suffering? God never promised that life would be easy, but he promised something so much better than an easy life. He promised and said that we could come to him and we could find peace, that he would be with us in those trials and we could find peace. So don't you see that in this morning, what God promises is so much better than an easy life, but the promise of being able to come to him and find peace. Let's start with historically what's going on here, that God never promised that life would be easy. Look at what King David says about his own circumstances here in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 3. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him. In God. He's got three minis here. This is parallelism. This is poetry. And he's tried to convey for us how terrible his situation is in terms of the people opposing him. And friends, this is very historical. And go back to what you call it, verse zero at the beginning, the, the precursor to this psalm. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. This is the low point of King David's life. And I want you to see what was going on when he penned these words to help us understand how he responded. In suffering. We'll have some words, some verses on the screen, but 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. This is what's going on. Absalom was King David's son, and this is what's going on. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, they say, Absalom is king at Hebron. So David's own biological son is now trying to create an uprising against his father, and the son is now trying to take his father's throne. And it starts to work a few verses later in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. You begin to see this happening. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. This is not a good day for King David. His son has rebelled against him. His son is leading a revolt against him. And the people of Israel are following. In fact, he gets so bad in the next verse in 2 Samuel chapter 15. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring ruin, bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So it's gotten so bad for King David, not just that his son has rebelled, and not just that Israel is following his son. He now has to flee the palace. He has to flee Jerusalem and go escape because his son is trying to kill him. And if that doesn't get, if it only gets worse than that, because you go two chapters later to 2 Samuel chapter 16, and as he's traveling to flee away from Jerusalem, people are mocking him. So 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. When King David came to Barum, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David. And all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom in the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Not a happy day for King David's life, is it? His son has rebelled against him. The people of Israel are following. He has to flee from Jerusalem so he and his warriors don't get killed by his son and his son's army. And as he goes, people throw stones and mock him along the way. 
and he realizes he's in trouble and in pursuit. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 11 and 12. This is what's happening now with Absalom and his counselors. One of Absalom's counselors tells Absalom this thing. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba is by the sand by the sea for multitude, that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him. That's David. So this is what is Absalom's being told to do. We shall come upon him, David, in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. Absalom is receiving counsel that Absalom himself should go slaughter his father himself. And Absalom listens to that counsel. And David learns of this a few verses later, verses 15 and 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 17. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abathar, the priest, Thus and so did, it, did it, I'm messing up the names, I'm sure, Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore sing quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all people who are with him be swallowed up. David learns that Psalm 3 is written now. This is when what we just read gets penned from King David. That his son has rebelled against him, has led all of Israel against him. David has to flee Jerusalem, has to flee from his palace, has to flee from those around him. He retreats away. People mock him, throw stones at him, curse him. He gets out in the woods and he gets word, hey, it's not far enough cross the river because Absalom's army is coming to to kill you and your son's going to kill you in person. That's what David is at in his point of suffering when we see Psalm chapter 3 being written. Now, let me remind us, though, who is the one suffering here? This is King David, the one who was set apart at a young age. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, that's David's father. Samuel's a prophet here who God has basically called and appointed to, to anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel, the prophet, says to Jesse, David's dad, are all your sons here? He said, there remains yet the youngest. That's David. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him, get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was Rudy. This is describing David for you. And he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forth. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Just keep that in view. The one who's now suffering with his son trying to personally kill him is the one who had already been anointed as the king of Israel. He is the one because he had the Spirit of God upon him who in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 45 defeats Goliath in the story that you probably have heard since childhood. David said to the Philistine, you came to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So the one suffering today is the one who had been anointed king, who had had the Lord's favor upon him to defeat the Philistines, not because he was trying to tackle some giant in his life like our culture teaches today, but because he was jealous for the name of God not being defiled. This man who was full of the Holy Spirit, who wanted God's name to not be defiled, is the one who's now suffering. This is the same guy who in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God made a covenant with. And there God says, in your house, this is speaking to David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so don't miss this, friends. I think sometimes we have the mindset if we're following God, we're in a safe place and hardships won't come. King David was a man who had been set apart from childhood to be the king. 
He is the one who had defeated Goliath, had done so many things for God's kingdom. He had a covenant. God has spoken to him and made a covenant with him. And he's the one who now is in this hardship and this difficulty and in this place of suffering. It's where he can say in Psalm 3, verse 2, Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Friend, God has never promised that the lives of his followers would be easy. Rather, the testimony of Scripture and many other places we looked at before is God's people often will endure much suffering, much trials, and much difficulties as they follow Christ. Sometimes because of our own sin, that's part of what King David is reaping here is his own sin with Bathsheba and his own murder. And sometimes it's the sin of others. But whether it's because of our sin or the sin of others, life on this earth will be difficult for us. God never promised that life would be easy, but thankfully that's not the only message here. Because you're thinking, oh great, this is one-third of the psalms. This is what we're going to see week after week after week. The lament psalms dealing with suffering also seek to build faith. They don't just go, oh, here's a problem. Life is terrible. Deal with it. Move on. That's not the message of the lament psalms. The lament psalms are that, yes, you will endure suffering and trials and difficulty because life is hard, but there's, there's hope in that. And they turn our hearts to faith and to hope. Look at verse number 3 here, Psalm 3. After he's just laid out how many his enemies are, he goes, but... Friends, there's a transition here. There's something that it gives hope in the midst of the suffering. And what is it for David? Is the hope that he can approach God, that he can come to God, that God invites David in the midst of his sufferings to come to the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 3. But you, O Lord. Now stop right there because in our English translations, we lose something here. When we see O Lord, we just kind of pass over it. What we translate O Lord was the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Yahweh was the covenant name that God had revealed. It was the name that the people of God loved because it reminded us, it reminded them of who God was. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Look at one of the earlier places where we see Yahweh used. The Lord passed before him. This is Moses here. And the Lord proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when Moses wants to know who God is and God reveals himself to Moses, he announces his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, that we translate the Lord, the Lord. And then he goes on to describe what, who Yahweh is, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The name Yahweh was a name the Jewish people cherished because it reminded them that God was their God and that they could approach God and God would do whatever he had promised. And so in the midst of David's sufferings, he doesn't go post all of his social media how awful his life is. He doesn't go start griping to his friends. What does David do? He looks at the covenant keeper, God, and he cries out, But you, Yahweh, the faithful one, the one who I can approach, he responds to God's invitation and approaches God in his suffering, crying out who God is. And what happens when he approaches Yahweh? What happens when David in his suffering approaches God? He finds peace. Look at verse 6. David says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Friends, in his own strength, it would be very normal to be afraid. I mean, Paul says, think of the things that make you afraid. I started pondering this other day, the things that I get fearful about. Today, so far, I've not been fearful that my kids are going to go create a rebellion against all the people at Gateway and all the people in Montgomery against me, and that everyone's going to come storm my house and try to kill me, so I have to run and go hide out on Ira's land somewhere, hoping that they don't find me out there. Like, I've never been fearful of stuff like that. How would I respond in the midst of a situation to where my son had pursued me to kill me, and I'm having to flee from the place I love being 
because of God, because of all the people coming after me. It'd be so easy in his own flesh to be afraid. And what does David say in the midst of the situation? He says, I will not be afraid. He's saying, I can have peace. Now, what is peace? We often think of peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of war. But David's not in a place where there's an absence of conflict or an absence of war. Yet he has peace. See, peace is not circumstantial. It's not based on just what's around us. If you think back to the Gospel of John, now that was a while back because that was a year and a half ago, but think back to the Gospel of John when we worked through that, we defined peace then as peace was contentment and trust in God. Well, that's very different than being circumstantial. If peace is contentment and peace is trust in God, here is David with people opposing him, people mocking him, having to flee out in the woods at night, thinking his son's coming to kill him. He still can have contentment and trust in God because that type of peace is not circumstantial. It's something within us. And David has this because he knows God. He knows the character of God. In this psalm, David's trust in God is not in some nebulous concept of who God is. It is in a very specific understanding of God's character of God's characteristic. He doesn't have a God of his own imagination. He has a God with very specific revealed characteristics. And as I look at Psalm 3, I see four characteristics of God's nature that David is trusting in. Again, he's not trusting in a vague concept of God. He's trusting in a God who's revealed himself as Yahweh with specific characteristics. What does David trust about God that helps him find peace in awful circumstances? First of all, David trusts in the power of God. David trusts in the power of God. We call this, when you look at God's characteristics, his omnipotence. Omni-all, the Latin word for all, and potence, power. Omnipotence, omnipotence. God's all-powerful that God can do whatever God wants to do. Look at verse 3 in the psalm. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Remember, this is poetry. And so David is communicating with images. What is a shield? A shield is something that has the ability to protect one from harm. He knows that God is his shield, that God is all-powerful and able to protect as God sees fit. David isn't thinking, well, I hope God can do this, and God's not up in heaven going, well, I'll try my best, David. We'll see what we can do. There's no weakness in God. God is sovereign, and God can protect as far as he sees fits here. And so David knows that. He's confident that God is all-powerful as a shield. He's also confident that God is his glory. Now, glory gets used to summarize all of who God is, but glory also is a response people have when they see power on display. And this is, David's holding up here that God is all-powerful. He is the ruling one that none can oppose. And so he sees God as the glorious one who is all-powerful. And when he sees that God is all-powerful to be a shield and all-powerful and is so glorious, what does he say? He says, God, you're the lifter of my head. That's just a Hebrew expression that means I have confidence. David has confidence in God's power, that God can do whatever God wants to do. And he finds peace in that because God is all-powerful, not his enemies. So David trusts in the power of God. David also trusts in the presence of God. That's the second thing I want you to see. He's trusting in the presence of God. We call this God's omnipresence, omni-all presence where he is, that God is everywhere. There's nowhere David can be, whether he's, in the, whether he's in Jerusalem, in his palace, or whether he's out in the woods fleeing from Absalom. There's nowhere he can escape God's presence. And what a comfort that it is for anyone suffering that God is right here with his children. Look at verses 4 and 5. He said, I cried aloud to the Lord... And he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Even in his hardships, he can talk to God, knowing that God will answer him right there with him. He can talk to God and know that God will be right there with him, sustaining him. And so he trusted the power of God to move. He trusted the presence of God with him, and David finds peace. But he also trusted something else about God. He trusted the justice of God. 
Look at verse 7. And my hunch is you've not seen this verse in any of your daily devotionals in a long time. Chapter 3, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now, I haven't heard that one on the radio, and I haven't seen that one in a daily devotional in quite a long time. What are we talking about here with this particular verse? This is an image. All throughout the Psalms, there is poetry. It's designed to have images to paint pictures for us. Last week, the idea of following God was a picture of a tree planted by streams. This is an image as well to represent a longing for justice. As he's crying out, God, strike the enemies on, my, on their cheeks. Break the teeth. He's not so much condemning a curse of how he wants enemies punished, he's painting a picture of wanting God to bring about justice. He wants God, the just judge, to make wrongs right. You may think, okay, that's a great that's an image, but isn't breaking teeth a little bit extreme here for this image? Well, even that is a particular image because it's an image at the time. Think of someone who has a lion chasing after them. If that lion's chase after them and starts to war and there's no teeth in the mouth, obviously you're not quite as afraid of that lion. To take teeth out of a wild animal takes a bit away its ability to devour. And that's a picture being painted here. He's praying the Lord, saying, Lord, take away the power. Take out from under the feet the, the power of the enemies to stop your plan. Because they can't. He's wanting God, the just judge, to destroy evil and to make wrongs right. Now, as we see throughout Scripture, and this will be a sermon for another day, sometimes that happens in this life, but not always. God has never promised in this life that every wrong will be made right. But he has promised that the day will come when every wrong will be made right and everyone will be held accountable and all wrongs will be punished. And so David has confidence in the justice of God, the just judge who will make all wrongs right eventually, if not now, in the last day. There's one more part of God's character that David is trusting in. He's trusting in God's power to act. He's trusting in God's presence with him. He's trusting in God's justice. But lastly, he's trusting in the sovereign plans of God. He's trusting in the sovereign plans of God, that God is moving history to accomplish a purpose. That history is not haphazard, that God is not up in heaven yawning, wondering what's going to happen on earth next. But God has an intentional plan, that God is ruling and reigning and orchestrating history and even David's life to accomplish something much bigger than his own life. Look at verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Wait, all of a sudden now David's in suffering, and instead of just being worried about him, he's saying, God, would you bless your people? God, you're the one who gives salvation. God bless your people. What in the world is David saying here? He's saying that he knows that his enemies don't control the future. God does. And his enemies may mock him and throw stones at him and say, God has departed from you. But they don't have the final word. God does. God has accomplished something, has a purpose. And David, in his his reign and in in his generations to come after him, and nothing can stop God's plan. God is faithful. He's Yahweh. He's the covenant keeper God. And he realizes that because it's not just about him, it's about God's people, he has hope that God's plans can't be stopped. Friends, that's a really important lesson for us in the midst of suffering. I don't know about you, but so often I have trouble trusting the Lord in the hardships when I'm thinking it's about me. Lord, why is this happening to me? And why is this going on? And we get so self-focused and we begin to lose sight when we realize that it's not about us, that God's plan is not to get me from birth to death in the easiest way possible. But he's about making his glory known, that he's about showing himself for who he is. He's, he's about his people being built up, the church growing, the kingdom of God moving forward. And our lives are part of that. And he's going to use even our hardships and sufferings as part of a much bigger story for his glory to be on display. When we can get our eyes off ourselves to God's kingdom, obviously now we find a lot more hope in the midst of our sufferings, that he can bring good out of our trials. And so David, trusting in the sovereign plan of God to do good, cries out in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. 
God never promised life would be easy, but he invites us to come to him and find peace as we trust his specific character as shown in Scripture. And as we trust God's character, peace can happen. Look at verse 5. This is astonishing. David said, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Now, think about this for a minute. Where is King David at this point? He's not in his palace. He's not in a nice, warm palace bed with the servants all around being like, King, do you need some water now? Is the room too hot or too cold? Would you like an extra blanket right now? He's not in his palace bed. He is either in a cave hiding or he's in an open field under the stars across a river he's just crossed with his son on the way to try to personally murder him. And away from his house, away from the comforts of home, out in the middle of nature somewhere, whether it's a cave or a field, he goes, I lay down and slept and woke up again. And even the I here is emphatic, which means he's shouting here. He's going, I slept. I woke up again. He's saying, yeah, I know this is crazy and all. Yeah, my son's trying to come, but I slept. Get a load of this, people. Like he's, he's shouting at us to say, you can have such peace that you can sleep even in the midst of hardship for him outside in a field or in a cave. This peace is very possible. King David found it, and the rest of the scripture is full of stories of people finding peace, whether it's the apostles in prison being beaten and singing to God and resting in prison, apostles being stoned in the early church and having peace and radiance about them as they were being executed. We see throughout the Bible people who found this peace because they know and trust the character of God and know that God is with them. That leads the question, can you and I today have peace whatever the hardships are? And the answer is, if we are in Christ, yes, we can, just like David did and just like the early apostles did. We saw this when we worked through the Gospel of John, but John chapter 14, verse 27. I love what Jesus said in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Wait, wait, Jesus. And you start thinking through what the apostles were going to go through, what the early disciples were going to go through when Jesus ascended back to heaven or even when he was killed and all the uncertainty for them. And Jesus goes, don't be troubled. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. I give you peace. And not peace to the whole world. This is not God just going, I love all people and everyone have peace. This is peace for the followers of Christ, those who know God and love God. John chapter 16, 33 tells us something very similar. This is Jesus talking again. I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Now, we like to stop there because we don't like the next, the next sentence. He doesn't say, in the world you might have tribulation, or in the world you, it may happen way down. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, another promise of God that we don't like to frame and hang over our sofas. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Find hope in the midst of the hardships. I have overcome the world. We serve and we follow the great I am, the almighty God, who is the overcomer, who doesn't promise to deliver us from the trials in this life. That's coming in the next life. That's coming in the hope of heaven. But in this life now, he's not promised to be easy, but he invites us to come to him and to find a peace that can only come from him. Friends, the question for us then is not whether we'll face trials and difficulties, but when we do, do we know the covenant-keeping God through Christ? Do we know Yahweh, who has now revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus? Do we know him for who he is? And do we seek to know him for his character? Not a God of our imagination, who's a God of love, period. 
but a God who's shown us the totality of his character in the pages of Scripture? Are we knowing him for him so that when the trials come, like David, we can trust in his power, we can trust in his care, we can trust in his sovereign plans, we can trust in his goodness, we can trust in his justice. Friends, when the trials come, I think King David's life here becomes a great example for us to ask, do we run to others or do we run to God when life gets hard? When we're in the midst of whether it's a broken relationship or financial hardship or medical problem or whatever it is, in the midst of that difficulty, what's our first response? Is it to run to God and do like David, oh, Yahweh? Or is it to kind of retreat into ourselves, trying to fix it ourselves, or to try to go to others? You know, what David did here, this is not a command for us. This is descriptive. This shows us what it's like for one who follows Christ. But what David models for us, there is a command we're required to follow in Scripture. Philippians chapter 4 Verses 6 and 7. You may know this one pretty well. We're commanded. Now, this is a command prescribed for us. Do not be anxious about anything. Wait, wait. There's that word anything again. There's so much in our flesh, like King David here, we could easily be anxious about. But the Bible commands us, don't be anxious about anything. But, here's the contrast. In everything, no matter what you're facing, whether it's that broken relationship, that medical diagnosis that scares you, that financial hardship, the effects of some sin in your life, whatever it is, in anything you face, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. And then verse 7 tells us, here's the promise, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So David models for us descriptively what were prescribed in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And we're not to be worried about anything, no matter how extreme it is, no matter even if it's your own son trying to kill you like King David here. We're commanded to pursue God, to approach him with prayer and supplication. And you can go back one verse to verse 6 here. Notice this phrase in the middle of it, in verse 6, with thanksgiving. In Philippians 4, 6, we're told to approach God with thanksgiving. Wait, wait, can David find anything to be thankful for? Right now he's in a place where his whole kingdom seems to be coming undone. His son's trying to kill him. He's out of the palace. He's fleeing. People are cursing him, stoning him. And yet in the midst of this, he can be thankful that he can call God Yahweh. He can approach God and cry out to him. There's much he can find to be thankful for, even in the hardships. And what an example for us of Philippians 4, 6, that even in the hardships, we approach God, honest with God about our sufferings, but find things to be thankful for, and we make our requests to God. And his peace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So friends, if you're in a place of suffering now, or when you hit a place of suffering and hardship next time, Are you running to God? And are you trusting in his character? Are you being honest with him? We don't have to hide it. We don't have to be at home thinking, my life is miserable, but I can't tell God that. God already knows everything. He invites us as his children to come to him and to be honest with him about what we're feeling, but then to go to his word and look at his character and find our faith built up. Friends, God invites us to his presence. My question for us is simply, are we responding to his invitation to come to him when life is hard. Would you pray with me? Father God, we're thankful for the Psalms. We're thankful for such a variety of emotion of people who have been in such different situations. To see Psalms like last week that give us beautiful pictures of what it looks like to follow you. Psalms like we'll see next week of what it means to praise you when we think about just your, your beauty and your glory. But Lord, we're thankful as well for the harder Psalms like this one. The Psalms that show us the reality of suffering and hardships and trials in life. We thank you for not sugarcoating these things. Thank you for not hiding them, but thank you for helping us see an example of faith in the midst of hardships. Lord, I want to pray for the brothers and sisters here today who are in the middle of trials right now. Lord, I know throughout this room are people who are struggling with things medically that scare them about what's going on with their bodies. 
people who are dealing with broken relationships and hardships that they never imagined they would be walking through because of the brokenness of this world, people here who are struggling with just other cares of this life, whether finances or other things. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, for that brother or sister who's really struggling and really at a place of of just wondering where you are in the midst of this. I pray that your word would be like a balm to them and to soothe them, to Lord, to point them back to your goodness and your care for your people and that you're acting, you're doing something much bigger than even just their life. God, would you breathe life and hope into their lives even today? And Lord, for the person who's not in a place of difficulty right now, Lord, we know that life is not about just our ease and comfort like Seth challenged us just two weeks ago, that Lord, our life is not about just sitting in a comfortable bed and breakfast to ease our way into heaven. Lord, you're about something much bigger, about your glory being known. Lord, help us all in the good times and the bad to live not for self, but to live for you. To live on mission for you, making you known so that your glory is what is held up for all to see. And Lord, I pray for those who right now are not in a place of difficulty and hardship. You'd even be now equipping and preparing them for that day whenever it comes. But as well to those people who are at an easier place right now to really be burdening their hearts. Lord, for those sitting in this room around them who are struggling right now. Lord, we might be the body of Christ to one another, to encourage one another and to build one another up and to remind each other of your promises, your goodness, and your character. So Lord, thank you for not leaving us alone on this journey of life. We're thankful for brothers and sisters who journey with us. And Lord, we're thankful for your presence with us. And Lord, I pray for all of us that it would be not just theoretical, but we would experience this week that, Lord, you would be our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our heads. And Lord, I pray today for myself and each precious brother and sister here that this week, regardless of whether it's an easy week or a hard week, that you would lift all of our heads to see you, to see your beauty, to get our eyes on your eternal purposes. And God, you would transform us to meet with you, that all of us this week would have a peace that surpasses understanding, that you might receive glory and we might find joy in something that the world wouldn't even begin to understand. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing?